and welcome to the business behind small business the show that reminds you that just because you own a business doesn't mean you're a business owner in each episode we will discuss a common issue small businesses face and offer tips and advice from the perspectives of two business owners one that built to sell and one that built to inherit we are your hosts savannah stone and chloe lee there's a lot of business behind small business so let's get to it Love. <laughs> Love is what brings us together. <laughs> oh my gosh. You'll have to forgive us. We'll be giggling throughout this podcast because the way that we record our podcast is through Skype. And I have inadvertently put a background that I can't even look at without bursting into laughter. Uh, <clears throat> I apologize now. <laughs> but anyway. That line that I just said is one of my is from one of my favorite movies, Princess Bride. It's one of my favorite scenes, and it's tied to today's discussion. We're talking about love. Well, loving your business. <laughs> what if the love is gone? How to know and can you spark your excitement again? Or is it time to move on? Before we begin, we should note our disclaimer. We are not licensed financial experts, nor do we give financial advice. Anything we share with you here on our podcast, whether it be a personal experience or submission or advice, tips that have worked for us or that we believe would work for you should not be viewed as either financial, business or tax advice. We ask for you to do your research, have open and honest conversations with your company's own support providers and make decisions based upon that. Throughout this broadcast, we will share our knowledge and give suggestions and hope you will receive them as part of your overall research to better your own company. Oh, look at that. I made it through without laughing. <laughs> yeah, thank you. So how do you know you've fallen out of love? What are the indicators and how do you know to make, is it time to make a change? Do you try? Do you move on? What do you suggest? All right. So I kind of took this from LinkedIn. Um, there's an article that has five signs that you've fallen out of love with your business. So let's start, let's start with the first one, which is you, you struggle mm. to get out of bed in the morning. Right. Your alarm clock mm. goes off. Mm-hmm. You hit the snooze button. You hit the snooze button. You hit the snooze button again and again and again. And you simply do not want to get up and face the day. If that sounds like yep. you, that may be a pretty good sign that, you know, you're, you're not in love with your business as you were before. Number two, which I thought was a pretty interesting one, is other people's work is just not good enough. So as a perfectionist, which I would strive to say that a lot of small business owners are and entrepreneurs, Mm -hmm. the standard of your employees work is just not up to scratch. So then what Mm -hmm. happens is you're kind of reluctant to delegate, hire people, and then now you're in sole control of your business and you're probably exhausted. Number three, you d- disagree with your business partners. So if you're not a solo solo entrepreneur and you have a partner in the business, maybe you guys have grown apart and you guys aren't agreeing on everything about how you want to move forward with the business and what the future plans are. And oftentimes you're arguing more than you are goal setting together. And that might be a source or a cause of why you may be falling out of love with your business. Mm-hmm. Next, number four, you're not achieving financial success. 
So this one can definitely be a bit of a Debbie Downer. You put a lot of work in your business, you're working really hard, you're pushing ahead 100% every day, and yet you're not getting the financial success that you want. Your cash flow is still looking unhealthy, your customers aren't paying you on time, and you feel like you're just running around in circles, wasting time trying to chase down money. And then last, number five, is your business bores you. It was exciting at one point, and for whatever reason, everything you do now just feels 10 times heavier and 10 times harder, and at this point, you're just tired and you're just bored of the business that you started. So I, I did want to say that it's okay to be to feel like this at any part of your business journey. I, I certainly have helped. I probably felt of every one of these at one point or another throughout the year. <laughs> so it is absolutely normal and this does not mean that you need to jump ship because I believe Savannah, you're gonna tell us how you can fall back in love with your business. Yes, absolutely. And to your last point, I would say that a lot of times that's probably one that people don't notice until they ask themselves, Am I bored? Because mm -hmm. Consistency and reliability tend to be the reason why people stay in relationships, whether or not it's the best place for them. And I can, pro I could assume that it can be translated over to business if it's consistent and it's reliable. It's a reliable income source. You're kind of like, meh, yeah, well, it's paying the bills. That's not, how, that's not the answer you should have. It's interesting uh, that you'd no. be willing to kind of tolerate the pain as long as it's pain you're familiar with. Yeah, people would much prefer to, and it's, you know, psychologically proven that people stay in unhappy relationships uh, because they're one, um, resistant to change. Two, it's more about the devil you know than the devil you don't. Not that the relationship is a devil, but you know what I'm saying. And because consistency and reliability are what people always look for, whether or not it's what they should be doing. They should, that's the relationship they should be in or the company that they should have. If it's reliable and consistent, they'll stick around. So it's really a question you got to ask yourself. Am I bored? And saying that, I am going to help you fall in love again. I'm, and I'm going to, I'm going to hopefully give you some ideas on how to spark excitement and help you fall back in love with your business. It's worth trying if you're not building to sell and aren't quite ready to throw in the towel. So, you know, where do you begin? These are good points to ponder and to take notes on later. So please take our points and advice and think on them before you start contemplating what direction you would like to go in. I suggest maybe listen to us, sit on it for a day, listen to us again, sit on it, and then start, you know, making a list of or a mental list as to what you want to do. So firstly, you have to remember why you started. If you're talking about your business like it's a romantic relationship, the approach is the same. Why did you start? What ignited your passion to go in this direction? How did you feel when you first began your journey with this business? You got to drill down to day one or week or month or even year one. At some point, you really love this and you need to identify just what that love point was to that you now have to identify what the pain point is. What's the problem? When did you realize you really don't like this anymore and why? So for example, if this were a conversation in your head, it may go like this. I really don't like being in this business anymore. Why? Because all I do is put out fires. There's just not enough time and it's become too stressful. Well, to me, that sounds like the real problem is that you don't delegate 
As the saying goes, many hands make light work. If you had someone helping you and you let go of that control, which is a problem with many founders, would you find yourself less stressed out? Would it make you reconsider whether or not you love what you do? And would you start liking what you do? And what would you like to do? So in saying that, maybe you should do an audit of your expectations. What you expect from your employees, your clientele, and yourself. Are you being too hard on any of you, including yourself? Are you setting high standards or setting up failure? This is probably one of the toughest exercises of your mind and emotions you're going to do. So this is the reason why I said, take a listen, step away, maybe take a listen again, step away, and then and then start making your list because you really got to drill down. You got to take a really hard look at your abilities, your business's abilities, and be truly realistic. Identify that you have shortcomings and then forgive them. This isn't going to work if you think that you're not the problem everyone else is. Forgive those of your employees, business partners, clientele, so on and so forth. Unless you're building an atomic bomb, a little transgression now and then isn't going to have irreparable repercussions. Okay, so, you know, there's an answer to everything. You got to figure out what that is. Lastly, you got to take some time to really get to know your business again. Maybe things have changed. We all know the world isn't the same as it was two years ago. So maybe your business needs a refresh too. Take a close note of your business's needs and things to thrive. And you've either ignored these signs or you didn't slow down enough to see them. Maybe there are things you need from your business, like better home work balance or whatever it is you need. You need to make your business respond to those things. If your company isn't working for you, you need to make changes. Know that these changes are you working on, not in your business. Give yourself the gift of alone time away from the distractions of emails, calls, and the never ending to-do list. It's the only way to make changes that will stick. I personally, sometimes if I'm feeling really overwhelmed, will decide I need the morning off or I need the afternoon off. I do that for myself as well as for my business. It's the same concept I have with my own family. The only way I can take care of you is if I take care of me first, right? So final notes, um, make concrete solutions. No more, I'll do this later or I'll start making changes tomorrow at the start of the month, you know, blah, blah, blah. It's no different than a diet. Start changes now, maybe little ones so they're less painful, but changes need to be made and stuck to, even if that change is you. In the end, if the reason your company is not lovable is because of you, you've got to own your responsibility in this and change yourself as well. So in saying that, let's talk about if we've ever fallen out of love with our company, current, past, and um, how did we know it was time to make a change? So why don't we start with you? Oh, that's so good. Yes, I am not uh, not ashamed to admit it. I probably had about a six month period um, where eh, maybe a little bit longer, six to eight month period, maybe even as long as a year where I, I kind of slowly fell out of love with what I was doing. But to be quite honest, I think my falling out of love was a result of burnout. Mm. You know, as entrepreneurs, especially first time entrepreneurs and business owners, and a lot of it, I think, depends on what your personality type is to begin with. 
I was one of those where I had this misconception of the fact that if I can go, 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 go as much as I can and all the time and all day, every day, I'll get there faster. And that apparently was the one 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 way recipe to burnout and disaster. Mm -hmm. So that's exactly what happened is I, I ended up burning out. And when I burned out, that's, you know, these feelings of, you know, whether it's being bored, whether I'm being frustrated, not being able to get out the bed in the morning because I'm not as excited about what I'm doing. That kind of came as a effect to the cause, which is the burnout to start mm -hmm. with. Mm -hmm. So I just felt a little trapped. Like I was in the situation where I didn't know how to get myself out of it. And I felt like I couldn't get myself out of it. I yeah. forgot that I actually owned the business, which meant mm -hmm. that it was my choice and my decision. And I actually am in full control to pick me out of this and get going with it. And so it actually took just a real mindset change right i mean 90 percent of it is all mindset 10 percent of it's strategy right so it was about it, it took me a while to get my mind sh uh, set changed around so that i can pick myself up and then start uh, making the changes i needed to get me back into being excited mm -hmm. about working in a business and working on a business so i have um i've walked away before and i've also made changes in my my second iteration or my next iteration it wasn't my second iteration but one time i was super passionate about what i was doing i thought that i mean i had dreamt of it as a child i was finally there and i was doing it and now was a mover and a shaker and this was the greatest thing in the whole wide world and then i realized how soul sucking what i was in was becoming i traveled a lot and I didn't care for the level of travel I was doing. There was a lot of inconsistency. I found that in the industry I was in, my approach was entirely alien to everyone else in that industry. So for example, everyone else kind of went with the wind, like, I don't feel like doing it today, I'm gonna do it tomorrow. And then I'd be like, what do you mean? Where it's nine, 9 a.m., let's get started on working. I could not fit the the circle, I guess, into the, the proverbial circle into the square box. And um, it made me very disenchanted. I, tr I tried to fall back in love with it as I was falling out of love with it. And then there was a situation that in and of itself was pretty mundane situation. Nothing, nothing really exciting about the situation. But I thought, I can't do this. I can't. This, looking at this made me realize, makes me realize that I can't do this for years and years to come. I don't want it. I don't like it anymore. And before I fall so out of love with it that I never want to do this again, I'm going to leave. And so I did. I left. And uh, then I had to figure out who was I going to be, who was I going to be next? It, it actually took me a few years. I was a little depressed about it because I kind of felt like a failure. But at the same time, I also then realized that maybe what I thought I was supposed to be, especially as a kid, maybe that's not what it was. Maybe it was the things that I did, making people happy, making them feel less stressed out. Maybe that's what I'm supposed to be doing. And that's how I, I kind of, that was the beginning of the uh, transformation into what my my current company is. And when I started my company, the first four years, I was growing, 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 and I was working inside of my company. I was, I was it. 
And I was doing it and doing it and doing it and doing it. And then by year, the fifth and sixth year is when I really started to feel stressed out. Like, am I really supposed to be doing this? I started to hate it. I didn't want to talk to clients. I didn't want to talk to anybody. But I I realized, okay, I I really need help. I need I need to hire people in. I started hiring people in, plugging people in, started working deeper on my business, creating processes and creating um creating these timelines and systems and all these different things that continuously took me out of the 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 wheel, if you will. And as I did that, I became more and more available to do the things I really wanted to do, the things that really made me passionate. So the next four years, I started to fall back in love with my company and I'm in almost year 11 and I love it. I love what I do. I don't love the things that I used to do, but right. I made my, I've made myself fall back in love with it uh, because I really do love what I do. I just didn't love what I was doing the first four to six years. So... It's not so um, interesting how we design ourselves into kind of the corner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. We do. We, we created do. the business and somehow we ended up creating the job that we hate. Absolutely. And, you know, I think that we don't forgive ourselves as well. If we realize that maybe this just isn't where we belong, we should forgive ourselves to walk away. And if people around you, which is what happened to me, if people around you are like, you're crazy. Why would you do that? Oh, you could, you could have done this or you could have done that. You could have been this great success. Well, could I have? Not if I didn't love it. Yeah. Not to the extent of your own happiness, right? Yeah. No, I think I'm good. Like you have to forgive yourself and make peace with it. If, if you ultimately decide you're going to walk away, but in the end, it's you and your decision. And that's probably where you should start is know that this is, this is your decision and your decision alone as to whether or not you're going to keep going or if this is where you're going to, if you're going to, you know, stop. You know, that's so interesting that you brought that up about like other people's opinions, because as a entrepreneur meeting other small business owners and other entrepreneurs who's been doing it for a while or just, you know, really authentic in their business, they don't typically offer advice. Right. And they don't typically offer um, opinions and suggestions because I think we've all been there where we know at the end of the day, it is our business. It is mm-hmm. what we choose, what we want that really matters. And when you have a whole bunch of different voices trying to tell you what you should be doing, and what you shouldn't mm-hmm. be doing, you know, that becomes really a huge distraction. And so and, and funny enough, too, I think I feel like the people dispensing advice oftentimes are the ones that aren't, aren't actually even doing it. So I don't even know why no. they're dispensing advice, but they feel like yeah. they can. So, you know, that that's really easy to kind of get in your head, because when you're especially if you're a first time business owner, your first time entrepreneur, there are going to be a time where you're going to be extremely vulnerable. If you didn't know you had faults before and you have weaknesses, then starting a business will certainly, you know, highlight those faults and weaknesses and exaggerate mm-hmm. those. I will tell you though, um, I don't know, I don't, I really gave myself a lot of pressure, so I didn't, I didn't want to quit, but I also knew that it wasn't, I didn't really want to quit. There was something here, but I was extremely unhappy with where my business was and how Mm -hmm. I set it up for myself. So I have nobody to blame myself, of course, because I built Mm -hmm. it. But because I built it a certain way and I had hired people too, I, I definitely went through like a roller coaster of emotions. And then decided from that experience that I need to make a severe change in my business to basically design it and move it to a direction that I wanted. The end result now is, of course, what I wanted was I wanted to build a business that was to the level that I felt was needed to be able to sell it. 
Yeah. So that was a little bit of a different business than what I had in year three and four. And because I wasn't 100% clear as to what my vision is, I didn't hire the right people for that for that outcome. Mm-hmm. So I ended up hiring not the right people. And again, they were great employees. So it was really no fault of theirs, but it was really my fault because I needed to change my, I didn't know the, I didn't know what I wanted yet. Yeah. And so after a year of kind of going through this mental exercise, I realized what I wanted. So I, I immediately over the next year started putting in everything in place to change and turn the company around toward what I needed to do. And what ended up happening is I wanted to kind of not gut everything, but I wanted to essentially let everybody go and start over mm-hmm. because it was so much of a distraction. And my HR kind of talked me off the ledge about that a little bit. And I was like, okay, but honestly, over about a nine month period, we had a hundred percent turnover. And I eventually replaced our entire staff with the staff that was aligned with my vision of where I want to go. Yeah. Hey, and if that's what needs to be done, then that's what needs to be done. I mean, sometimes right. maybe maybe it isn't you, maybe it is them, you know, but only, uh, of course, after you've done a true internal assessment. You know, there have been times when I've even so one of the reasons why I fell out of love with what I was doing was the people around me. They were they were a huge uh, influence, yeah, influence. Not yeah, they were. Yeah, 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 exactly. I didn't feel like I was around the kind of people that I even wanted to be around anymore. And I didn't I feel I like actually avoiding going to the office. So I didn't have to see my employees. Right. So and and, it, and <laughs> I mean, I haven't been doing that in so long, so, so long. But still today, people will say, I don't know why you don't go back into it. What? No. I'm, first of all, I'm an old lady. And second of all, and second of all, no, like, can we please talk about how like successful my current company is? Like, I'm pretty daggone good at what I do. No, go away. Don't don't take away my happiness. But, you know, I think, again, it's about forgiving, forgiving yourself if maybe you do turn out to not want to stick around and forgive yourself if you do feel like, okay, well, you know what the problem is, is problem is the people that work for me you got to forgive yourself for whatever decision it is you make and make your peace with it exactly i think a lot of it is as long as once you get to the point of pretty much brutal honesty of what happened and where you are and then you learn to forgive yourself i think that's when you can really move forward you kind of remove that blockage from within yourself and then you can start thinking about all right how do i how do i fix this and how do, how do mm-hmm. i get to where i want to be mm-hmm. and so to be quite honest, like now these days after going through that experience, oddly enough, like I see it as a good sign now that if I yeah. am feeling uncomfortable and I'm feeling bored and I'm feeling that dread when I wake up in the morning and I'm looking forward to my day, I take that as a sign as in like, hey, you know what? I may be really close to my next breakthrough. Like there is something on mm-hmm. the other side of this. After that first iteration of learning what this is, um, the other side of it is I always ended up reinventing what I was doing or doing it 10 times better. So it mm-hmm. becomes like almost like a driving force. So it's actually really exciting now because I'm like, OK, so like my 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 mind, my body, my gut is kind of warning me about something. You know, let's take time. Let's explore this because I want to get to the other side of this because I know it's mm-hmm. going to be it's going to be so exciting on the other side of this. So it's not quite as a depressing sign now, although. I have to say living with the feelings isn't great, but as long as you're aware of what those feelings mean, it doesn't quite it doesn't quite hurt as much. Mm-hmm. Well, greatness doesn't come without being uncomfortable at times, right? 
And uh, the points that we made are very, very important. That's why I'm reiterating here that, you know, once you're done listening to us, take a take a break and then listen to the beginning of our podcast. Well, maybe not the part where I'm giggling so much because I I will say that I'm I've stopped looking at us because I, I can't I can't see us in the forest. <laughs> How I managed to put us on. I don't know. Apparently, we're sitting in the forest on, <laughs> on virtual, in virtual, in a virtual world somewhere right now. Um, but only the top half of us is sitting in a forest. Believe it or not, it's like we're coming out of the ground like groundhogs. Anyway, take a listen again to what we were saying because those are really, really good points. If you are at the fork in the road and need some guidance, and you don't really know who you could talk to about this, what the points that Chloe made and the points that I made are great, a great place for you to start. And so from here, let's move on to our famous example. In each episode, we like to connect a famous example to our discussion to help you relate our talking points on a more global or well-recognized scale. Sometimes we use exact examples of either famous persons or successful business owners of today or in history. And sometimes we use examples of people who inspire us and have inspired today's discussion. Chloe, take it away. All right, so my famous example is Michael Phelps. Oh, so we've all heard of him before. Um, but what's even more interesting about Michael Phelps is listening to things about him from the point of view of his coach, who's Bob Bowman. So Michael Phelps, of course, Olympic athlete, we all know this. And that was basically his full-time job. He started training around the age of seven to be a swimmer and then when he retired from competitive swimming he was 31 so essentially that's 24 years wow. where that's all he focused on uh, was swimming hmm. and just to kind of set the perspective a little bit if you haven't heard before his training routine is it's it's grueling essentially yeah. you know at the peak of his training he was swimming like 80,000 meters per week so that's about 50 miles every single week he would swim daily at least two times a day so it only goes up if he's you know getting ready for a competition and it's drills after drills after drills and then more practice and then more practice and then more practice mm -hmm. and then on top of his swimming practices he also goes to the gym where he lifts weights for at least three times per week oh, all in all for about 24 years mm -hmm. of his life he trained five to six hours a day six days a week now if that doesn't, at some point along the way, get him to kind of fall out of love with what he's doing, which I'm sure he's talked about before, too, because he's also a really big speaker about mental health now and whatnot. Mm -hmm. I mean, mm -hmm. that's certainly very similar to what any entrepreneur can go through when you're kind of going hard at a business over and over again for multiple years. So what I liked about um, his coach was his coach with the, was with him all throughout this time. And his coach was a huge believer in not just the physical training, but also mindset training. And so in a interview that Bob Bowman did with Forbes, he actually had three daily practice that he coached uh, Michael Phelps to do. And that really was I think he felt like was kind of the foundation of why he was able to kind of go on for so many years and also be, of course, wildly successful in what he what he accomplished. So number one is vision. So Bob Bowman was a huge advocate for making sure that his athletes focused on the process and not the outcome. Because sometimes if you're in business and you're just chasing money all the time and that's the outcome of it, you'll find that your motivation will die somewhere along the way. 
Oh, yeah. That does not get Absolutely. you far enough. Right. So mm-hmm. really you got to love the process and, you know, not the outcome. For him, focusing on the pursuit of excellence rather than just winning is really what he kind of instilled in his swimmers to make sure that they kind of just focused on what their ultimate vision is and not get distracted or demotivated if for some reason they don't, you know, qualify as like number one for that particular swim. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, Michael Phelps is great, but he wasn't number one at everything for the entire 24 years. There was definitely ups and downs right. there. Right. Totally. So the other thing that he worked on with his athletes is that he really was a big supporter of mental rehearsal. So this is really, really cool. Bowman believes that all of us, regardless of our field, have a strong belief of who we are today and who we like to be tomorrow. When we set goals in business, sports, or any other areas of achievement, if you can form a strong mental picture and visualize yourself doing it, your brain will immediately find a way to get you there. So that's what he did with uh, Phelps. And Phelps is like known for this in interviews saying that he can spend as much as up to two hours basically mentally rehearsing him winning a race. He's not just only like visualizing himself doing the swim and kind of what time he's aiming for and how he's feeling. He even takes it a step farther and he kind of visualizes himself seeing himself swim as somebody from the audience so that Mm -hmm. he can see it. He can smell it. He can touch it. He can feel it. And he does this for hours and even Mm -hmm. all the way up to the competition. So. I'm not sure if this is like a myth (laughs) and maybe it is. Remember that one Olympics where he was swimming and he literally won by like a tenth of a second or something crazy like that. And the one Olympics and he so it was found out after the race was that he did it where he couldn't see because his goggles filled out with water. Mm -hmm. But the uh, story was the fact that he had mentally rehearsed that swim so many times in his head that he didn't need to see it to be able to do what he did. Yeah. Oh, no, I, it's it's realization. It's law of attraction. It's all of those things. I thoroughly, thoroughly believe in that because I have practiced it and have found, oh, knock on wood, because I don't want to jinx myself. But <clears throat> I have found that if you put yourself mentally, thoroughly, thoroughly mentally in a place of which you want to be, you will find yourself on the path to that to that place. Just um, to wrap out kind of his three daily habits that uh, Bowman had for his uh, athletes, the last one, of course, is practice, right? The wonderful result of practice is that you literally program your brain for peak performance. So on the day of your event or your work, whatever it is that you're doing that kind of culminates to kind of a big activity or a big event, clear your mind and your body and trust that they know what to do because you've been practicing dozens if not hundreds or, or, you know, in Michael Phelps' case, thousands of times before. Cool. I really do like the guy. I mean, he's he's probably, he to me is like Michael Jordan. Like the two of them are almost superhuman and both of them use holistic methods Mm -hmm. to get to where they are. It's not just about the physical. It's really mostly about the mental. And it's not even just about the mental. It's about seeing yourself. Because I feel like Michael Jordan had said that once when I watched the series on him. I think he mentioned that as well, that he would visualize himself winning. He, He put himself there mentally to get to that place. And I feel like Mike Tyson did too, but I I don't remember. But I mean, that's what people of greatness do is they visualize themselves in greatness. I I think that's definitely something to explore. 
I couldn't decide between these two because, again, I'm at an impasse. Both are very important how they reinvented their companies to better suit their passions. But one is a founder and the other is not. So I'm going to start with the founder. The story of cola is very complicated, but it comes down to the fact that it was once meant to be a medicinal elixir made of both cocaine and the African cola nut for caffeine. Although Confederate Colonel John Pemberton invented it, likely inspired by a French Corsican coca wine, and businessman Asa Griggs Candler transformed it into what we know it as today, I want to instead talk about Caleb Bradham. Bradham was a pharmacist who owned Bradham Drug Company, and like many drugstores of the time, it had a soda fountain. In 1898, Bradham invented a blend of cola extract, vanilla, and rare oils, and he called it Brad's Drink. He served this to his clients slash patients. He later renamed it Pepsi Cola because he believed it aided in digestion like pepsin enzyme. It was a success, and Bradham authorized Pepsi Cola franchises in over 24 states. Although he was dedicated to his business, it didn't monopolize his life. He went far in the Shriners and was made recorder of the Sudan Temple. He was a bank officer and honorary president of a state-owned railroad. He was one of the founders of the North Carolina Naval Militia. And when he retired, he did so with the rank of rear admiral. So clearly, Pepsi was, wasn't monopolizing his time or, or his life. Sadly, because he wasn't hyper-focused on Pepsi and it wasn't his true passion, he made a decision that ended up costing him his company. The price of sugar skyrocketed and then nosedived, and he bought at the wrong time. He bought when it was expensive, and then he was stuck with it. Uh, he sold Pepsi and then went back to operating his drugstore and the rest of history. That's an example of somebody who just kind of lost the love. And instead of trying to reinvigorate Pepsi, he just sold it. On to my second inspiration. In 1927, the Hathaway Manufacturing Company built a textile mill in New Bedford, Massachusetts. By 1955, they had merged with a next, another textile company, Berkshire Fine Spinning Associates. Together, they became Berkshire Hathaway. During the same timeline, a young man developed an interest in business and investing in his youth. He entered the Wharton School of the University of Pennsylvania in 1947, transferred and graduated from the University of Nebraska in 19. He went on to Columbia Business School and then graduated from there. In 1962, at 32 years of age, Warren Buffett began buying Berkshire Hathaway stock under a reasonable investment strategy. He figured he would buy the stock and then sell it back to the company at a higher price. Well, then things got kind of sticky. Berkshire Hathaway's president, Seabury Stanton, which is such a cool name, offered in person Buffett's stock at $11.50 a share. But when Stanton later sent the formal offer, it was at $11.38. I mean, one would think it's not that big of a deal, but he owned a considerable amount of stock. The lowball offer angered Buffett so much, he amassed a majority stake. He gained a seat on its board, all with the intent to replace Stanton as president. It worked. Buffett didn't know much about textiles, and it became abundantly clear it wouldn't be his passion project. He's noted many times that it was a mistake to buy into textiles, but it was cheap, and it was a place to start. In 1985, due to foreign competition, he shut down the textile business, and instead of just shutting it down and, and moving on from it, he kept the name and completely reinvented the company. He went on to own and operate one of the largest corporate holding companies in the world. 
So although Berkshire Hathaway started off in textiles, it's now known as a holding company. He reinvented it. He didn't have a love for textiles, reinvented it and went on to make history. So with each episode, we like to share either books, tools, apps, platforms, or anything we think is a great next step and connector to our discussion. So if you like our subject matter and want to learn more, you'll have a great place to start. So what are your recommendations? Personally, I think two things has been kind of the foundation ever since my first experience of falling out of love with my business. And it's kind of kept me kind of pretty steady since then. One is picking up the practice of meditation. And I've certainly over the years have periods of time where I would kind of fall out of the practice, but I eventually will always work my way back because I, I can immediately tell when when I'm not in a daily practice and uh, things are kind of feels like they're falling apart around me a little bit. So I have a recommendation for a meditation app, um, a couple meditation apps. One that I've used quite often, which is Calm. Um, I think that's a pretty popular app um, and it's it's great. They've, they've really done a lot to kind of increase a lot of the information and just different ways to meditate that is not just sitting quietly for 10 to 15 minutes, listening to the thoughts in your head. They have a lot of guided meditation, a lot of nature sounds that I um, and um, soundscapes that I found really helpful. And then the other meditation app is called Omvana, which is spelled mm-hmm. O-M-V-A-N-A. It's part of the uh, Mind Valley community uh, or subscription rather that I'm also a part of, but I believe it's also a standalone app. And they also have some really great guided meditation and soundscapes in there as well. Hmm. And then the other item I was going to recommend is just listening to different speakers for motivation. You know, mm-hmm. there are those days and certainly you're going to hit challenges and hard spots as you are building your business that you really just need some external motivation. People who are talking you up, pepping you up. Um, and I think the best way to hear some of that is, you know, of course, on podcasts, on YouTube. There's so many of these motivational kind of compilations that people put together mm-hmm. on YouTube that you can listen to. And it just kind of puts your mind and your mood and your state in the right place so that then you can kind of take that and approach whatever the challenge you have in your business versus kind of coming in from it from already kind of a, like a you know low depressive state. What I listen to is like Tony Robbins, Brene mm. Brown, Jim Rohn, Gary Vee every once in a while as well. Mm. I think that he sometimes can be quite motivating, even though it's kind of a hard love kind of yeah. <laughs> approach. But certainly I would say kind of find the speaker that speaks the right language to you. No, yeah, I completely agree. I personally prefer to kind of, well, because I'm a nerd, I fall into back into into history and I get my inspiration from historically successful women. And that's why I love listening to history chicks. And I, and they, the way that they speak to one another, I really enjoy. It makes me feel good too. And then I love business wars. That also is such a great inspiration for me mm. um, because it goes into how these companies started because it helps you remember that these monstrosity or conglomerates, you know, these massive companies all boils down to one person with a really good idea. And um, kind of, it's really, really cool because they go deep into how it all began and who their company, who their um, largest competition is and how they began. So I completely agree with you. I think meditation or even if your meditation means you going for an hour long walk, if you can't sit still long enough for to meditate and but walking is a way for you to kind of clear your mind then do that walking, running, you know, whatever. At the whole point is just to recenter yourself and just be kind of a 
give yourself enough space to be aware of how you're feeling because otherwise yeah. you're just kind of running after like you know you're just going along and doing whatever is coming up in your mind and you're really not giving yourself the space to just be able to settle down for a little bit Absolutely. that reminded me though when you were talking about different podcasts don't you and i share like a a, a love for that podcast um entrepreneur story for inspiration yes yes so that's one i think we would both highly recommend to yes, all our yes. listeners um, amazing podcast. He interviews founders, right? He mm-hmm. interviews people who are in small business founders. I mean, every once in a while, you'll have people who are, I guess, like famous in a sense. Yeah. But mostly he just interviews every everybody else like you and me. And he actually really gets into kind of the details of what it was like to build a business. And I just love hearing about other people's stories because, then yeah. you, first of all, then you feel like you're not crazy. Definitely. <laughs> and you don't feel like you're a lonely island. You're not on a lonely island. And then you also, for me, I, my takeaway was look at how many different ways there are to approach a business. Yeah. You know, you find your unique way and stop trying to do what everybody else wants you to do or tells you that you should be doing. Mm-hmm. Well, and I'll admit, I do feel crazy sometimes when I'm excited about an idea and I'm, I'm starting to do something new. And I, I know that my staff rolls their eyes you know, maybe not in front of me, but they roll their eyes and they're like, oh my gosh, she's doing something new again. But they always come on board and all it does is make the um, the business easier to work in and to work with. So I kind of feel like that's my that's my job is to make things easy. Um, and in my humble opinion, oftentimes when an owner falls out of love with their company, it has more to do with them having painted themselves into an uncomfortable corner than the company itself. Like we mentioned earlier, I highly suggest looking into streamlining what you do, outsourcing what doesn't really need you, and focus your attentions on the things that really make you happy within the confines of your company. Invest in a CRM. I personally really like HubSpot, Thrive, that's T-H-R-Y-V, and Zoho, but do your own research to find what fits you best. There are CRMs for literally every industry, so find the one that fits you uh, both personally and financially. Um, I also really like ActiveCampaign for email marketing automation and uh, Evernote for productivity. You'll still need someone to manage those though. And I can't say this enough, please outsource, please outsource. You will be amazed at how much of your time can be freed up by just hiring someone else to do these things for you. Now, I'm not going to shamelessly plug my own company here, but find a company that can do these things for you. Bookkeeping, admin, HR, recruiting, social media, you know, maybe one that can do it all remotely, hint, hint, but have someone else take care of these background tasks will help. It's going to help you immensely. So these are all things that don't need you. They don't need you at all. Have someone else do it, please. That corner that you've painted yourself into likely is because you've been doing all of those things. Please join us for our next episode where we will discuss hiring right the first time. Steps to ensure retainment. Want to ask a question, leave a comment, or become a sponsor for a future episode of The Business Behind Small Business? Click on the link in the show notes and fill out the form. Until next time, thanks. Bye.